0: BELL RINGS <laughs> You're listening to Beauty and Impact, the show that gets valuable insights from changemakers disrupting the norms of beauty, wellness, and sustainability.
1: We tackle topics like the impacts of beauty ingredients on our health and the environment, where people of color fit into the clean beauty conversation, sustainable beauty solutions, and so much more.
0: We're your hosts and sisters, environmental activist Ashley Renee Insanwu and clinical skincare industry insider Jasmine Hill, here to spill all the green tea on beauty and sustainability. Let's go. Hey fam, welcome back to the Beauty and Impact Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying what we've been sharing so far. Y'all, oh, I can't believe January is done. What is time, even? Like, how are we already a month into 2022? Okay, so. I just want to kick this off real quick by giving a shout out to whoever left us our very first review as new podcasters. Can I just say, like, I am extremely excited by this review.
1: (laughs) And mom, if it was you, which hopefully it wasn't because I can't imagine her doing this all the way in India. Thanks. Two thumbs up. Oh, mama, was it you? No. I mean, still, well, it it counts. It counts, right? Whoever you are, feel free to give us a DM. We've got something for you. Okay, so the review says, Finally, a source with real
0: insight. The first episode brought it in terms of defining clean beauty and holding CPG to task. Loved the balance of acknowledging big businesses trying to right their wrongs. Opinions, my own. Thanks! We appreciate you. So obviously we've got credibility. Someone vouched for us. So that means you should keep listening. So the next part of the podcast, which is just in case you are not familiar, if you missed, you know, the other episode where we explain the structure, you know, we start out with beauty and sustainability news. Jasmine's realm is beauty. My realm is sustainability. So we'll each be sharing some insights from our sectors. And then we are going to go into a product that we've both been crushing on lately. And then we're going to dive right into this week's guest interview. So Jasmine's going to go ahead and kick it off with What's going on in the beauty space? What's up, sis? What's been going on?
1: Okay, so I thought that this article was interesting. There was an article that came out in Glossy about how armpits became a skincare category. And... um What? <laughs> what? Wait, wait, what are you... What? I knew you were not going to be in with this. But... You know, if you kind of think about it, right? Like, I feel like the whole world—God, it wasn't even last year anymore, right? So, like, 2020 um, was staying home. I think, like, that's when I had like a lot of conversation with friends who were trying to switch to natural deodorant if they had never done it before, because like they were trying to maybe like experiment at home. And so, like, within that, people are just trying to like Google all kind of things that they should do because I think a lot of people's natural deo journey because it can be really hard to get a good one but then you know like I've heard about friends who were doing like armpit detoxes I know I've been seeing on TikTok there's a lot of you know using acids and things like that and I use acid uh, let's say there was like um there's a company that's called um I think derma doctor that I found at one point they had antiperspirant wipes that were basically acid wipes and then like the evolution of it now like there's cosas they have a deodorant that basically is you know based with with acid but now people are also using um like acid toners like their underarms too so like there's all kind of little like underarm care that's going on and then some of them because like the acid in there is also playing into like if people have like dark armpits and like they you know are concerned about that so it's helping to like even like that tone um acid toners are getting to be replacement for deodorant um i'm not necessarily there yet but i do use cosas which is you know it's an acid-based um deodorant so i don't know i thought it was kind of interesting because i'm in like the new realm where i kind of found what works for me but then you know aliyah my daughter is getting ready to be of that age where she's going to need to start wearing deodorant i don't necessarily want to do some of the traditional ones but you know i feel like i've struggled like most people to find something that kind of works for my body i don't necessarily i do like the acid ones that's what kind of worked for me but i don't necessarily want to start her with that yet at least until after i have a little combo with um our dermatologist so it's interesting i don't know i might i might do it i might not i don't know what do you think about it i remember the first time
0: i learned about what was it the armpit detox but you know it It was like a DIY armpit detox. So like to hear that now it's like become commercialized or now you have actual products that you could buy to do armpit detoxes. It just made me giggle a little bit because I just feel like the beauty industry will always find a way to capitalize, I guess, things that got started as natural remedies, but they'll find a way to turn it into a product. But you know, hey, whatever works, whatever it takes to get people to to go on their natural deodorant journey, like I'm, I'm with it.
1: Yeah, and I didn't even know about um, armpit detoxing, yada, 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 before I started. But I will say I'm not always like the most like wanting to like DIY things. Yeah. Just depending on, I guess, like what it's made with. Just because it's like you never know how it's stabilized. And I like knowing that someone else has done the consumer testing. So I feel a little bit better about, you know, reactions and things like that. Especially in those like sensitive little bits.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you come from, you know, the clinical space too. So that 100% makes sense. And I think there's a lot of
1: validity. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I'll I'll see what my derm says, though, about my daughter, because I've been struggling with this because I wanted to use the natural stuff on her. But at the same point, like, you know, I don't want to be the one that's going to have her use something that doesn't work because I think we've all used a thing that doesn't work and now she's like this stinky girl at school like I'm not going to do that to her so i got to figure this out <laughs> Yeah, it's it's getting – she's getting Almost. to that age, right, where kids can be
0: mean. Kids can be so mean around, like, this age, like, preteen, teen. Oh, she's not – you know, yeah, there, yeah. I don't, do don't, don't want to age <laughs> your daughter. Like, no, let's not do that. She, she's still my little Elias. She's still my niece, my little baby niece in my eyes. But, yeah, it'll happen. So I totally get that, like, as a mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. It's, it's interesting to hear – how that space has evolved
1: yeah so that's the update on my end I might try just doing the actual toner under my underarms instead of the deodorant the next time it runs out so I'll do a little experimentation and see why don't you keep us posted on that
0: and let the viewers know where you are with that maybe in the next episode or two Uh, yeah
1: let's say two (laughs) next couple episodes.
0: We will circle back to get an update from Jasmine on her journey. All right. So now let's get into sustainability news. So one of the latest brands to hop on board with creating a sustainability program is Maybelline. And just FYI, before I go any further with these details, I do just want to point out that while their sustainability program should be applauded, I personally just want to point out that they have a lot of work to do still. It's 2022 and they are still not a cruelty-free or vegan company. And to me, a company cannot be truly for the planet if animal exploitation is involved. But that being said, there is a huge step that they recently announced that they've taken towards being more sustainable that I do want to celebrate. They've recently announced their new sustainability program called Conscious Together. And there are three main points to the new program that I really want to highlight. One, they are investing in much needed makeup recycling technologies. Okay, so, you know, the recycling system is quite broken here in America. So we really do need big businesses pumping dollars into better recycling. recycling solution. So yay. All right. The second point is that by 2025, which is actually not very far away, they claim that they will be able to achieve carbon neutrality, which is pretty dope for a big company to be able to achieve. So we will be keeping an eye on them to make sure they achieve that. Um, And the third point is all babyline plastic packaging will be made from 100% recycled plastic. Fun fact, they've actually already replaced 600 tons of virgin plastic with recycled plastic. They've been doing this since 2018. That's insane. And, and this actually kind of ties into our guest today, who um, will be talking a little bit more about PCR, which means um, post-consumer recycled uh, plastic. So we're going to be talking, she's going to go into like why that's a big deal and why that's important and why we all should be supporting brands who make their products out of PCR, um, which is recycled plastic. So despite my mixed feelings about, you know, Maybelline, at the end of the day, I I obviously hope they reach their sustainability goals because every sustainable goal met is another step towards a cleaner planet. All right, cool. So... We wrapped up our beauty and sustainability news segment of our podcast, and now it's time to dive into the fun, fun, fun part where we recommend some cool products that we've been trying lately or that we just like uh, really, really enjoy and want to share with you. So we'll start out with Jasmine. What product do you want to highlight?
1: All right. So my product that I'm of the week is actually not necessarily something I'm using, but I just want to call attention to a really cool product launch. So actually the entire brand just launched. It's called Salt Air. It is a body care is skincare line, which I thought was really cool. So they have a line of, you know, these body washes right now where they're using a lot of like skincare ingredients, like glycolic acid, retinoids, antioxidants, um, niacinamides for your body. And I thought it was really cool the way that they were kind of positioning some of this. So I normally use this called like the KP kit from Glytone, and You know, it does the job. It's primarily um they're just glycolic acid. Um and KP. KP is actually this like skin condition that's like these little bumps that appear on like your upper arms or outer thighs. People call it sometimes like chicken skin. But primarily, you know, just using the glycolic acid wash just like leaves my skin like so well exfoliated. So I love using this year round. Um but this new brand like this whole thing is beautiful it's very well thought out to me from like sustainability point of view though too so all of the packaging the body washes are coming actually in these like aluminum cans and you have the option of either getting the pump or not getting the pump so like if you're ordering it you don't have to get the pump again and all the colors are just like really bright beautiful. I think it's just a very well executed, well thought out brand I'm excited to try this once I'm out of my next round of KP glycolic wash. What about you?
0: Yeah. So what I really want to shout out is a brand, not just a product, but a brand called Apto. I have not tried any of their products, but they're actually on their way to my house right now. But I think it's really cool to highlight them right now because big news, they just launched in Target, which is really awesome. You know, they're a very accessible brand. They're already in Walmart. Now they're going to be in Target. Their products are very, very affordable for a clean skincare and beauty brand. I really love the fact that their prices are so low, but they're also products that have been made to be healthy for us and the environment. And funny enough, it's like they kind of like stumbled into sustainability right during the pandemic. So they actually pared down their offerings like they used to have. uh, I think it was almost 40 products. I know it was like well over 35 products and they pared it down to seven just for simplicity purposes. And I really appreciate that. So I wanted to support them and, you know, what they're doing to be more sustainable and cut down on their waste and cut down all like the extra products that aren't needed. And I want you guys to take a look at what they offer because they have seven very straightforward products, a cleanser, toner, serum, mask, moisturizer mist, and a lip balm. And if you see anything on their site that resonates with you, um, try it out because it's all, it's clean ingredients. It's vegan, it's cruelty-free, and they're making a really honest effort towards making their packaging sustainable, including using recycled plastic, which is like a recurring theme here. I don't know if you've noticed, like we, we keep talking about like recycled plastic in packaging, which again, our next guest is going to talk about so i think this is actually a pretty good segue into our guest interview which is the one and only baba rivera let's go Okay, so today on Beauty and Impact, we're speaking with eco beauty expert and Forbes 30 Under 30 powerhouse Baba Rivera. Baba has worked at disruptive companies like Uber and Away, starting her own marketing agency by Baba in 2020. Founded her own disruptive company, Ceremonia, the clean hair care brand rooted in Latinx heritage, which made headlines before she even launched when she raised a million dollars in pre seed funding while pregnant and navigating a global (laughs) pandemic okay i I am just so fascinated because i too gave birth this year so i oh my god congrats congrats. yeah thank you thank you congrats to you as well (laughs) so first of all baba thank you so much for joining us today Jazz and i have been huge fans of yours especially after you launched ceremonia as mothers and women of color, we're both inspired by your career and your lifestyle in so many ways. I really want to just kick off this podcast recording by hearing about how you were able to birth a whole child and a whole brand (laughs) (laughs) um, together at the same time. I'm a new mom myself, so you know, just tell us about the inspiration behind creating Ceremonia and your secret to doing it all while pregnant. (laughs) Yeah,
2: well, I mean, the thing is, I think one thing I really learned is that life happens while you're busy making plans because nothing ever really goes according to plan. My daughter actually arrived five weeks early. And so she's a little (laughs) preemie, totally healthy and has definitely caught up. And no one can even, I think, even see that she was a preemie at some point because she's so tall now. She just turned one. Point being is that I thought I had this master plan of, okay, I'm going to, you know, work really hard and like launch Ceremonia. And then I'm going to have a month and a half. And then like a month and a half since launch. And then I'm going to have my baby. And, you know, anyways, it turns out the baby arrived (laughs) a week before Ceremonia's launch date. Oh my God, a week
1: before.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I actually thought the baby would come late because that was, you know, most statistics show that first time babies tend to be past their due dates. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I I remember the team being like super panicking because I just suddenly went into labor. And first of all, they're obviously worried about me and everything. And then when they learn that okay i was healthy the baby was healthy they're like okay um also <clears throat> what does this mean for lunch <laughs> like we obviously don't want to oh be stressing baba about this right now but also we kind of <laughs> need to know so i think though for me i just i was in such a love bubble i felt like the most oh. powerful human on planet earth I have a newfound appreciation for not only myself, but truly every woman walking this planet It's just this incredible force of nature. And I just remember feeling so capable and so powerful and like nothing could stop me. So yes, we're still launching Ceremonia and yes, we're still keeping the launch date. And I had an interesting period though, because um, my baby was a preemie, so... Although she is, you know, safe and healthy, she yeah. did spend 13 days at the NICU oh, and oh at the intensive care. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was that I was in this weird, you know, fog of going in and out of the NICU, sitting a lot in the waiting room also because we were only allowed to go in one parent at a time due to COVID. yeah. So I remember being like, okay, it's important that she also spends time with her dad. So I would send my husband in and then I would sit in the waiting room and I would take like a Forbes interview (laughs) while I was sitting in the waiting room for our launch press story. And then I would go in and I would breastfeed. And it was just this like super surreal moment. But I think part of the sort of joy that work brings to me, I think really helped me cope during that period too. And it Mm -hmm. helped me to to really find purpose and just, you know, channeling into that superpower that I truly feel like women have. We are, you know, beyond our wildest imagination. So, yeah, that was a very long and personal rant about how Sermonian and Alma came into the world around the same time. But I, I think that the love that you feel for for a child yeah. is so powerful that you can truly do anything with it.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally relate. I, I actually apologized to Jasmine, my sister, recently. <laughs> It wasn't until I became a mom that I truly understood that (laughs) immense love that you have for a baby. And I just, it didn't occur to me until I became a mom, just what a transformational period she probably went through when she became a mom. And I was completely oblivious because I was just her dopey little sister who had no idea, right? But (laughs) now I get it, (laughs) totally get it.
2: Yeah, it's a big shift. And I think, you know, for, for me, COVID was a struggle, but also an opportunity because Cemonium was born out of COVID. I mean, we started working on ceremonia as an idea before COVID, and it kind of came to me out of this realization that the beauty industry to me is very clearly going towards clean yeah. standards. Clean is still kind of like highly uh, irregular like deregulated and you know, there are a lot of false marketing claims and whatnot. but I think that aside, customers are definitely paying more and more attention to what actually goes into their products. Whereas, you know, when I was a kid, that wasn't even a conversation. Yeah. It was just like, oh, that brand, oh, it said it does this. <laughs> so then it does that, right? Like we just never questioned um, the formulations, whereas customers today are really starting to do that. And I thought it was interesting how we have this big trend towards clean in beauty, and we're seeing that with makeup. We're seeing that, I mean, especially with skincare. I think there is so much that's happening in the skincare aisle. And you have today really incredible, clean skincare and makeup brands. I mean, just to mention some favorites in, in my own makeup bag. I love Merit. I love Say. I love Cosas. And on the skincare side, I mean, the list goes on and on. But yeah. the Harper is a great example of someone doing something that's clean and powered by natural ingredients, yet sort of like chic and pre- premium but then when it came to hair I felt like I was left with little to no options and so it was interesting how the skincare and makeup had made so much progress in their sort of development towards clean beauty yet and hair was, was so behind <laughs> yeah <laughs> And when it comes to hair care, you had to sort of choose. It was like you had to go to the natural store like or like at Whole Foods, you know, like the natural aisle and and get the stuff that's Palo Santo scented or, you know, lavender scented. No science backed ingredients, but sort of like homemade by someone in their kitchen. Super, you know, granola DIY. Or you had the salon brands with science backed claims but filled with chemicals. So I was like, that can't be it. Like there's gotta be a different category of hair care. And, and, and furthermore, I also thought it was strange how the hair care category was so dominated by celebrity hairstylists. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like that's basically like giving makeup artists the range on skincare. Like makeup and hairstyling to me are are sort of the same thing. It's like the last layer of like aesthetic. Uh, You put on makeup to like put color on your face. You don't put makeup on to change the dynamics of your skin. And, And it's the same thing with hair. Like you style your hair for the day to just, you know, tame that frizz for that morning and like have a good hair day. But it's not how you care for your hair, like no hairspray in the world is going to save your hair. So <laughs> I just wanted to, just for myself, find a brand that it kind of brought back the care aspect of hair care. And and and, yeah. and that's really what planted the seeds for Ceremony. I wanted to create something that was more focused on hair wellness and kind of like a more holistic approach to helping us achieve our best natural hair days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, I feel like a lot of times like For me, when I talk with friends, you know, it's kind of like coming into things that might be just paying attention more to like what goes in your body, what goes on your body happens a lot of times, like when you first become pregnant, because I think even for me, I never thought about it twice until like I worked with them. dermatologist and my very first conversation with one of my clients was, oh, you know, I'm pregnant and, oh, hey, well, remember, you know, like this retinol, the salicylic acid that I put you on, um, probably don't want to use that right now while you're pregnant. I'm like, what do you, what what do you mean? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so I think it was like the first time just really starting to think about that. And you're right. You know, I, I, I went into probably this like really just like very California natural, like, what am I going to pick up from the farmer's market? But I'm so just like fashion forward. When I lived in New York City, it was all about fashion. We just like fun stuff. So it felt just too whole grainy for me. You yeah. know what I mean? So I remember at one point, it's like I, I got out of the newborn fog and I'm just like, but I really like fun stuff. You know, I don't want to smell like oats and yeah. shea butter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think like that's exactly. like what I love about like what you've created. You're kind of like still bringing together like the best of both, right? You know, like there's like the of person who is like really analyzing what we're kind of putting in both like on our bodies in our bodies but we want to have something that has like a cool vibe to it at the same time right like we don't necessarily want to i think
2: about (laughs) skincare and beauty products as part part of like interior design in my bathroom like i'm not gonna lie i want it to look nice and i also think that you know, when we go through pregnancy, I was also pregnant while we were formulating. So for me, it had to be pregnancy safe from the get go. But I think something that I also encounter a lot with people that are sort of haven't yet embarked on a clean hair care journey is that they just want to make sure that they still get the results. And I think there've been too many sort of like failed attempts in the market. Mm -hmm. And like so many shampoos that don't lather and that don't deep cleanse conditioners that don't detangle and like, don't leave your hair with that nice slip and shine. And and I get it because it's hard to formulate that way without silicones, without parabens and sulfates, but it's not impossible. It's just yeah. different. And it takes a lot more iteration and, and patience. And I, I think that that's really the, um, the gap in the market that we're filling. We wanna be that brand that even people who are not used to clean products can appreciate.
1: Yeah. So I want to bring it back a little bit, you know, just kind of hearing this story about everything that you were doing in the middle of, you know, being pregnant and almost like giving birth to both the brand and the baby at the same time. I did not realize it was actually so literal. (laughs) We talked about that before, you know, so now just kind of thinking about like where you were in that time process also meant that you were fundraising while pregnant, right? Also in the middle of where just like statistically we already hear so many um, you know, almost like horror stories of how much, like, even though, like we said, okay, things are changing, but it's not really changing, um, mm-hmm. between like female founded companies being able to raise, you know, you were able to not only raise money, but raise money in the middle of a pandemic. And one of the things that we were looking at when we were researching a little bit about you is kind of just like going back through and seeing, um, you know, like looking at the percentages, right? So we saw that, like, if you're looking at Hispanics being the largest and fastest growing minority in the U.S., when you're looking at it from the standpoint of startups founded by any type of Latinx woman, you're vastly underfunded, right? So we're seeing that kind of like across the board within like minority companies and then also like female-led brands. So we're really proud when we read that you were able to break through that barrier and become one of... What we found out was only 58 Latina founders around that time to ever raise over a million NVC funds. So some can argue you are one of very few brands that launched to serve a true void in that market. And so what do you feel like was the process like to get other people or investors to also mm-hmm. understand that opportunity before launching your brand when you know it seems like a lot of people may not have really understood the opportunity in the same way that you really saw that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that stat is just, you know, so unfortunate. And we see this all the time. It's hard already just being a female in, in the startup world. Like we receive received such a small part of the pie when it comes to venture funding and then adding women of color on that. Hispanics and, and, and Black women are at the far bottom. So that's you know very demotivating, but I, I think at the same time that's a huge motivator for me in in the journey that I'm in. I think that I wanted to raise capital because I wanted to build a really big business. For me, this is not a side hustle, yeah. it's not a cute you know like passion project. this is meant to be a really big business that can be that benchmark that I wish I would have had embarking on this journey. So I feel uh, a huge sense of almost like responsibility towards my people in a way because I grew up like I come from a very humble beginning I think whenever I moved to New York people would you know just assume that I came from like a wealthy family who was like paying for me to live in New York and and all these things just because that's how I carry myself today, but that's that yeah. was not always the case. I, I grew up in the projects. My parents were immigrants. They never had a job. They don't speak the language. I would translate to, for them at the bank. I took a lot of responsibility at home. To this day, my, my family depend on me. Like I just come from a very different background that I think most founders that we get to read about in the media. Yeah. Um, and I think that when I went out to fundraise, I, it just became so clear to me that I did not fit the mold. And because what happens and and it's at the end of the day, it's not even really the investor's fault, because ultimately their job is to replicate success. So a lot of the times they have a certain investment thesis that they have, you know, been given by the investors of their fund, because this is the other thing, being like a VC, that's a business. It's not charity. It's not like they're going to give money to the people they feel the most sorry for. Like, that's not how it works. So they have, you know, their own investment thesis that they stick to in order to be successful in their jobs. And a lot of the times those are built on past
1: experiences
2: yeah. and, and and past success stories. Nothing. Yeah. And I think that's really the root of the problem is that, yes, if we we have data that shows that, you know white male founded companies you know from ivy league schools uh tend to run successful businesses then like that's subconsciously the mold that you know gets created in the industry Mm -hmm. so i think that's why it's so important with um unconventional founders breaking ground and and really having those stories being told in the media because that creates new benchmarks not only as inspiration for future founders but also as sort of like success stories for other investors to be like, yeah. oh, it's like that.
1: This market opportunity is huge. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> because investors are not trendsetters. Like they hate to yeah. be first on something. Like they 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 wanna get on the deal that everyone else wants to get on. So that's the other thing I learned during my fundraising process. So much about it is momentum too. And um, and I think that's where my experience in marketing and storytelling really came in so handy because I think sometimes as women we, we tend to get into these conversations a little bit intimidated and almost like feeling like we're asking for something but the reality is we're not asking we're actually just bringing an opportunity and it's not one that's just because someone has the money doesn't grant them access to my company like I'm gonna pick my investors and this is an opportunity that only so many people will have the privilege of being part of because I can't take on everyone. So I I think shifting that mindset is really, really important and realizing that you hold the bar for the deal. Like you basically have a deal that people want in
0: on and, and, and it's your
2: job to make sure that people see it as that.
0: Oh, that is powerful. That really helped reframe it for me. So it's it's not about like, asking hey, I'm asking you for help. Like No, I'm coming to you with a legit opportunity for yeah. you to join what I have created. Um, this isn't just me asking for a handout. Like
1: You're going to benefit from and it.
2: And I mean, truly, I-, I You're well, going to miss the boat know,
1: if you're not on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <And> especially <laughs> I would say who you are, a minority founder, because it's like, this is what I felt too. I was like, I- have created a situation for myself today that's very different from the one I grew up with. I have had uh, some level of privilege in my career. I had the opportunity of working with unicorn brands. I was part of launching Uber in Sweden. I built my career through Uber, then worked at Away. I built my own agency. Like I have very legit experience. And now I'm sort of like finding back to my roots and creating a startup uh, around that because it's a massive opportunity, by the way. Yeah. And I am bringing these to investors and I truthfully don't know how many sort of like mm-hmm. versions of a Baba they're meeting on a daily basis. I think most of the time they're meeting John <laughs> Smith. So like, mm-hmm. honestly, they should, should jump on the opportunity. They should be
0: happy that I'm coming to them with it. Yes. I love the confidence that that is brilliant advice. And you you said you launched Uber in Sweden. And so you also mentioned that you grew up from an, in an immigrant family. So I'm guessing that was in Sweden. You grew up in Sweden, yeah. right?
2: So yeah. I was born and raised in Sweden. Uh, both my parents are from Chile, so they immigrated to Sweden during the Pinochet dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, and my sort of first encounter with tech was um, getting hired uh, to wow. to launch Uber in Sweden. And yeah, that's a, a crazy story in itself. But um, sure. that that was uh, sort of like just put me on an interesting trajectory
0: wow yeah i bet and i actually spent some time in stockholm several years ago yeah yeah while i was there i noticed that the values that i care about like sustainability gender equality like things like that they all seem to be like kind of systemically embedded in the in the culture there like for example like i saw like a lot of signage there that were like here you would see signs with say like women on it if it had something to do with kids. But in Sweden, i always noticed it was like a man. Like if it was a sign about like parenting, it, it would always have like a man with his baby. And I also saw like a lot of fathers outside with like their kids. So yeah, I like, I there know. is
2: definitely a different culture around paternity leave um, and <laughs> it's so refreshing. And I, like, I grew up with it, so I don't think twice about it. But anytime I have friends from abroad visiting Sweden, they're like, I saw so many dads alone with strollers. And that's when I realized that actually, yeah, I never see that in New York. Like that's a very rare sight. It
0: is. I, I fell in love. And I just knew I was like, oh, one day I'm going to marry me a Swedish man. Because that's the only thing that's my kid. Don't talk to Carl. And it just out. Thankfully, thankfully my, my husband is kind of like a Swedish guy. Like he's very much into you know being a dad and you know, he's all about gender equality. So I left out there. <laughs> um but the other thing that I noticed while I was there was like sustainability was very important there. And I Yeah, like it's
2: it's, it's almost, like a, almost like a given in Yeah, terms.
0: it is. It is. It's heavily, heavily integrated into I would say the kids' education from an early age. So it's not just yeah. something that you kind of like figure out like later on in life. Like I stumbled upon sustainability when I became an adult. But there I see like it's taught at a very young age. Yeah, even
2: in preschool and everything from recycling and composting Mm -hmm. and yeah. It's just part of living.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I'm I'm wondering if because you grew up in that like culture that appreciated and recognized sustainability as being important how did growing up in such a progressive country like that with all those like really great values how did that influence the actual values that you placed and embedded into ceremonia
2: yeah i definitely think that has you know influenced a lot of sort of like my just like baseline beliefs I'm like yeah obviously we would create something that's sustainable like you know it's crazy (laughs) not to but at the same time I think that a lot of the immigrant communities are also subconsciously sustainable without even like you know putting a cool label on it like I just grew up you know using everything to the last drop and like upcycling mm-hmm. containers like we would save anything that had you know a lid and it was just this like reuse reduce type of mentality and and that just came mostly from being you know not having a, a lot of you know financial stability so we had to make use of what we had and, and I think that that is true in the U.S. too a lot of um sort of like the fancy sustainability happens in like the white communities, but a lot of the sort of like yeah. groundwork and sustainability happens in, in immigrant communities where mm-hmm. that's just the way of living. So I think I'm very influenced by sort of like both of those aspects. And I think I also have a unique perspective of, I, I just feel so privileged honestly to have such a double perspective. It's it's incredible. I, I, can, I can relate to so many types of people today as a result of of my upbringing.
1: Yeah, a little bit different, like, lived experiences. Yeah, that's funny, because I think Ashley and I, like, talk about that sometimes, just about, so we're half Indian, so our mother grew up in Kerala, and, you know, like, we were just talking about, like, where my mom has um, another, like, farm in our family right now, so, like, that area is, like, a lot further outside of, um, like, the main city, where technically, like, we had our other um, apartment. But in that area, because it is so far out into the country, you know, there's just a lot of things that, you know, you might look at now being more sustainable, right? Um, But it's just kind of ingrained in the way that we live. So whether it's, like, you know, we go visit there, and, like, the water has to come from, like, the well, you know? It's, like, you're only, like, using, like, so much at a time, um, as it's kind of, like, pumped through the house. You know, like, what is it? it Right. We're drying everything. Everything is, like, dried out on the line because we're not using, like, the extra electricity for, like, the dryer, even, like, the garbage for everything, right? So you don't necessarily have someone who's coming in and collecting everything. So just by nature, everyone is trying to not do as much. Um, You don't necessarily even have as much of, like, the carry-out opportunities where you're bringing home, like, the styrofoam and things like that. And I think, like, even the last time we went to go visit... In January of 2020, there was like this big, huge sustainability initiative of where they had already banned single-use plastics in that wow. entire area, you know, and then we're kind of like slowly adopting some of that, you know. Yeah, now.
2: And there are so many, you know, rituals and traditions that are sustainable by by, by nature in, in yeah. communities like this. Every time I would visit my, um, like, actually, I was talking to my mom about this earlier, how... You know, vegan and uh, nutrition is such a like, you know, uh, trendy thing these days. But like, I just remember when I would visit my aunt in Chile, we just mostly ate vegan. Yeah, because, like <laughs> You know, it, it was not a thing. It was just like a affordable and it was sort of like, you know, she would make all these stews and like and, and then on the weekends she would, you know, make some meat with it as well. But like that was sort of more of a luxury thing. So, yeah, eating a lot of vegetables and
0: fruits was also part of my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, like... You don't really think of it as sustainable, right? It's just the way of it life. a part it, of life. <laughs> and
1: and yeah, you go, you go to the farmer's market.
0: Like, oh, yeah. I, I remember
2: <laughs> going to doing. La Feria. The farmer's market, is, we call it La Feria in, in Chile. And it was, it was more so because it was cheaper than the grocery store, to be oh, yeah. honest.
0: <laughs>
2: but it was locally produced and it was, you know, great for us. Um, but it was not even something that I thought of labeling as sustainable at the time. Right.
1: So kind of talking back a little bit about like the sustainability that you've been prioritizing in your brand. We've talked a little bit about how much you're prioritizing clean values within the brand. You know, part of the impetus to this um, podcast is because it's like no secret that the cosmetic industry has, you know, caused a lot of damage over the years to the environment. But it's been great not only like having a shift in that thinking and some like the corporate brands, but then also brands like yours that from like the very beginning, you know, this is part of what you're kind of putting forward into the beauty space of really trying hard to find some of these more sustainable solutions. So anyone who's maybe listening right now who wants to start a more eco-conscious brand of their own, what are some challenges that founders may run into when trying to consider the environment as they develop products?
2: It's surprisingly hard. Like I, I think I I just realized that idea versus execution <laughs> are two vastly different things. And it takes a lot of persistence and um, courage as a founder to, to stick to your values because there are a lot of variables along the way that is gonna, you know, push you to butch. Um, And a lot of vendors that will try to convince you otherwise. So I think the biggest challenge, obviously there are the expected ones. Yes, sustainability is, you know, should be a given, but it's not. It's actually really hard to find vendors who adhere to the standards that you would think should be normal it's also way more expensive, and um, we use, you know, post-consumer recycled plastics, and, and that is about five times the price. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's it's a big investment, and 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 it at the same time, I think we also struggle with the sort of perception versus reality there, because to the blind eye, it might just look like plastic. And then we're just paying five times more for it. But we ultimately do it because we know that that, you know, is aligned with our values. And we see it as part of our brand purpose to educate consumers on, you know, what is actually sustainable and, you know, what are sort of like, so I, I think that's another challenge is like, There is a lot of hard work that goes into the behind the scenes that no one will ever pat you on the back for. (laughs) Uh, And you end up paying a lot of premiums for it. And yeah, it's a very thankless um, process. Um, But ultimately, I just think that if you're going to start something, you know, 2021 or late, like it would just be insane to me to bring something not sustainable onto the planet at this point. like we we know enough now, know better yeah. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I wish that some of the bigger companies would like help change the industry because they're actually the ones who can change it. I think that up and coming brands like Ceremonia, we can play a huge role in changing consumer demands. Yeah. Um, but in terms of industry, like vendors and pricing and minimum quantities and terms, like all of those things that happen behind the scenes, you need the big companies involved in yeah. order to see a change there. So that's yeah. definitely the, the biggest challenge is like we are trying to represent our customers, but it's really hard to to fight that fight being a very tiny player in a big industry. That makes sense. So it's yeah. like the
0: demand is there. But since the big companies have all the resources and the biggest consumer base, they have the real power to drive yeah. even more demand by coming out with or by supplying the... Exactly.
2: They products. can impact the supply chain. And, right. and that's really, the you know, pricing. where the issue is. I, I don't think yeah. there's a shortage of customers wanting sustainable solutions. Yeah. Although I do think that customers want it, but they don't want to pay for it. It's yeah. a pay different it. story. Yeah. And the thing is, they might not even have to pay for it if we just change the industry for yeah. that to be the standard or for non-sustainable options to be heavily yeah. taxed. like. There, there is a lot of solutions for this. I generally think that things that are bad for humans and the environment should be yeah. incredibly taxed, like smoking. Exactly. Like, that's not good for anyone. Like, why make that, you know, easy attractive to people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I think that, you know, there should be. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm from Sweden, so I believe in taxes.
0: I, mean, <laughs> I, I thought I remember. I don't know if it was Sweden, but I know some European countries that like place taxes on certain things, like even fast food. And I'm like, oh wow.
2: Yeah, Norway is pretty aggressive with it. They even tax sugar and things yes. like that. Yeah. Oh
1: wow, that's amazing. And well, it seems like um, you know. From the initiatives of what I've seen with, let's say, like Credo right now, um, Sephora doing like the clean plus planet positive, because they're kind of like categorizing this now for their brands who are coming in, I think like my hope now is like, okay, so some of these like larger brands who want to play in this aisle are almost going to have to be forced to, you know change some of their packaging, things like this. And so now that you're starting to maybe get like them working with their supply chain vendors, it'll hopefully start to drive those pricing down for everyone because now those suppliers might now have more, you know, um, available solutions that just like anybody can get as far as like brands. Exactly,
2: like if I'm a vendor and my biggest customer is L'Oreal and they keep buying virgin plastic, I'm not going to change my business. But if L'Oreal suddenly is like, I need everything to be post-consumer recycled plastic. I'm going to shoot my PCR. bits and it pretty yep. <laughs> quick. That's how it works. So yeah. I, I, we really need those, you know, brands to take action. And I do agree with you. I'm actually really proud of Sephora's updated, clean standard. It also uh, takes like ethics into account, whereas before... It was a very low bar, if you ask me, Aww. for what was considered clean Never at Sephora. I think, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I think the reason is that they already had all this baggage of, you know, yeah. um, brands that they had advertised as clean. And then suddenly they had to sort of create the clean at Sephora standard around their existing inventory. Yeah. And I think what they're doing now is that they're actually just starting with a clean slate and they're like, okay, this is what clean at Sephora should be and planet positive and they're giving existing partners actually a grace period where they have I don't know if it was two or three years to live up to those standards so they're getting like a heads up about it and I think that's really how you drive industry change so honestly hats down to Sephora for doing that yeah
1: yeah I think I was just reading Target doing something similar to that too right because they're they they're almost like needing to work with the brands to say hey you know we have these resources for you so maybe we've already had you guys as part of our shelves but now we need our shelf to reflect this so like target was like working with i think like chem forward and novi connect so now those brands know okay i can work with this and i can actually say now i know you know specifically where this ingredient is being sourced from Is this actually sustainable is it coming from like regenerative farming and so again it's like resources even maybe as the brand level that they didn't have before so again you're kind of starting to have this like more ecosystem of more eco-friendly products and brands because again you've got these corporations now that are setting these standards so if you want to be on the shelf you kind of have to comply and at the same time i feel like I don't feel like most brands like just want to do the wrong thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they just may not necessarily have, you know, somebody in sustainability helping them out or even just knowing where to go with some of these things. You I know? think it's also
2: a financial thing. It's like they, yeah. they have to report their bottom line and like no sustainability effort is going to give immediate Return. results in terms of return <laughs> yes. of investment and so I, I i do believe that being a sustainable brand is good business but that's sort of like more of a long-term play yeah. and so i think that's the tricky part for the the big brands that are sort of like almost stuck in their own um uh prison yeah,
1: yeah. Th- three cents for them goes a very long way when you're producing millions and millions and millions mm-hmm. of- <laughs> totally. they're
2: like actually yeah. that's a deal breaker <laughs> right <laughs>
1: And taking it back to
0: just like consumer demand, like you mentioned that the consumers obviously want sustainable products, but there's also like an education component there where like I come from the environmental space, right? I'm an environmental activist. And while like a lot of us uh, have good intentions with, you know, trying to encourage people to be plastic free, there are some people who don't quite understand that it's not just about being plastic-free, it's particularly virgin plastic-free, right? But it's not as sexy to say, you know, virgin plastic-free, like (laughs) plastic-free. So so you don't see a lot of people like taking that step to really educate people like, hey, PCR is actually like, great, we should be supporting brands who are using PCR, which is post-consumer recycled, right? And so I want you to kind of like explain just a little bit about why that actually is a sustainable choice and why people niche of the supporting brands who use
2: that yeah definitely I mean that's definitely a big misconception that like I think as humans we want easy solutions and it's Mm. it's so great if we can just put all of our blame into one thing and if we can just be really mad about climate change and be like it's the plastic water bottles and Mm. you know just (laughs) be like really mad about that so then we need plastic-free, you know. So I think that's really what's happening. And I agree, we definitely need to desperately stop producing plastic. I think, like, the issue is producing plastic. Like, that That needs to end. We have enough plastic on this planet Then we can chew, <laughs> quite literally. literally. And I think that's where post-consumer recycled plastic comes in, where we're actually taking something that's already here and we are creating something new of it. So we're extending the life of that plastic that is already here polluting our, our you know planet. And the other thing with post-consumer recycled plastic is that, so you're obviously taking it from the landfill and creating a new item with it. It's also, if you look at the full carbon footprint, that's how we landed on this being actually the most sustainable option for us. Yeah. To ship glass it's extremely uh, yeah and also actually to recycle glass takes a lot of energy Mm -hmm. and also there is another you know misconception here that like glass is just more sustainable period reality is if the glass is tinted it's no longer recyclable so there are all these things that you know come into play but as consumers we want easy solutions and we want to feel good about ourselves so we you know, don't, don't don't think about those nuances. And I also don't want people to listen to this and feel like, oh my God, it's so complex. I can't do anything right. So, you know, if going plastic-free for you works for you, great. Personally, uh, I'm a huge advocate for post-consumer recycled plastic just because yeah. when looking at the whole spectrum of sustainability, that is oftentimes a more sustainable option when you take into consideration the shipments back and forth and then recycling that product again. Glass is the most sustainable if you upcycle it. So that means, let's say you buy uh, a face cream that comes in a glass jar. If you then reuse that jar to store cotton balls or jewelry, like th- that actually is sustainable. Yeah. But to, for, for you to then put that in recycling and then buy another cream and you go through those creams once a month, that's actually no longer that sustainable. So there are a lot of nuances to it. Actually, a brand that had a really good FAQ on this—it's not a beauty brand technically, but Sakara Life.
1: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I, I use their um, protein powders because they're at um, Irwan. But yeah, I forgot that they have like the whole like food and different things that they deliver too, and different yeah. supplement things.
2: Because I remember like they are a very you know sustainably committed brand, um, but they deliver food in plastic and i was like yeah. oh my god why would they do that and then they had an incredible faq about it being you know 50 percent or more post-consumer recycled and that that sort of has the perfect balance of keeping the food fresh keeping carbon footprint low and then at the same time um repurposing plastic that's already um, been produced so yeah there, there are a lot of nuances to it and i think this is the hardest thing as a founder is that you obviously do all that research in every decision that you, you make, but then you don't always get rewarded for it. And I guess you just have to to learn that that's part of the game.
1: Yeah. As a consumer, it,
0: uh, recycling rates are also very low too. That was yeah,
2: that's such a good point. Um, and honestly, this is the thing in the US, like people just don't recycle enough. They don't. Uh, like any material. So I think if anything, we just really have to push their, their recycling uh, aspect. And a last round, by the way, about misconceptions. Another thing that really kills me is, especially in the VC world, they love something that sounds really cool. And, you know, anything biodegradable, like, you know, self dissolvable, you, you know,
1: like hello we've got active ingredients it's going to eat through the package
2: yeah, like any sort of you know buzzwords like that are, are so you know celebrated in the vc world but the reality with biodegrade yeah. most biodegradable material actually is that they require very specific facilities in order to be able to be biodegraded mm-hmm. and i was reading that there are only i think 50 of those facilities in the whole country of the united states so the reality is that it's just likely not going to be properly biodegraded. Um, but everyone feels good about themselves because it says that it's biodegradable. It's so,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we had a nice little discussion about that with um, a package supplier who kind of broke all of these things down for us. And yeah, as a you know the end consumer, it's all of these things that you, we never would have considered because you just kind of think like, oh, this is just easily to break down because this is sugarcane or whatever, you know and not really thinking about like all of these other parts to it. So to be conscious of time, I'm just going to dig in real quick to like one of like the little last questions to make sure that we can kind of like highlight a little bit too. So we want to know if you have, you know, what's coming up next for your brand? Is there anything that you want to kind of highlight that's either coming out next? Or if somebody is first maybe walking into Credio, they want to know what should I kind of like pick from the pot, pick from the product, pick from the (laughs) the aisle and discover, where should they start with your brand?
2: So my best advice is to start with the scalp power duo, which is the Aceite de Mosca, which is a scalp remedy oil. And then we have a scalp massager.
1: Um, myself
2: a little massager tool right yeah yeah so this little duo works incredible and honestly this saved my postpartum hair journey anyone who is a new mom can probably relate to <laughs> oh the hair falling apart yeah. it becomes so dry so brittle yeah. like I have so much frizz this little treatment I do it religiously twice a week I apply twice it all a week, over okay. my scalp I give myself a massage with a massager and then I actually sleep with it on. So oh, I leave it okay. on overnight. Yeah, that's the hack. And then the next morning I wash it off just with, you know, shampoo and, and conditioner. And that has helped to accelerate hair growth, increase shine, reduce frizz, and just contributes to overall hair wellness. So it's an award winner, it's everyone's internal favorite. It's you know the the best of the best. So can't recommend that enough. But great this great for like any
1: hair type too. Yeah,
2: like this is for all hair types. My husband uses it, like, you know, men, women, doesn't matter. And something to note is that the scalp is really the source of yeah. your hair quality. That's so awesome. if you don't already have a scalp a ritual as part of your beauty regimen, and this is a great place to start. And this holiday season, we're also launching a little pack of minis so if you want to try out the whole ceremonial ritual without you know investing in the whole line at once uh, you will have the opportunity to buy like a travel kit and they are in this like more mini size that you can also be refilled with the full-size products after
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. I feel like when you talk about hair these days, you know, you're almost talking about it from like the skinification of hair, right? And we're looking at it in different ways. And I think what I keep like hearing about more is, you know, really starting to do a lot more with like scalp care, which is not something that I would think about as much. I'm always thinking about like my ends or like what product to use. But you know, starting to hear this a lot more. So yeah, I love that as being the first place for people to start.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's also where I think people will see
0: the best of results because that's yeah. really where it happens.
1: Well, we
0: are so excited that you did this. And like she said, we want to be conscious of your time because we know you are a busy, busy founder and a mama. So we're just going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, and we just want to say that, hey, we love following you on social media. Uh, your life is goals. Uh, oh, gosh. If anybody like wants to follow follow you, like please let them know. Like how they can do so, because from your iconic sense of style to how effortlessly you make motherhood look, <laughs> we stand. So please let everybody know, like how they can also get in on this uh goodness.
2: Oh, uh, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm gonna just bring you everywhere as my hype woman. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, um, exactly. Can I just like you know? I'm like, <laughs> um, you can follow me on Instagram. I am baba b-a-b-b-a on instagram that's it um short and sweet i have so much fun on the instagram platform i love connecting with my followers and, and having meaningful conversations so send me a dm or you know a comment and i would love to chat awesome
1: perfect and then we'll add in all of the links to the brand you by the time this comes out we'll be able to do a link to like the travel kit so people can kind of uh say, thank you <laughs>
0: Alright, thank you for tuning in to Beauty and Impact today. If you got any gems from this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening and show us some love by writing a review. It helps other beauties looking to make an impact just like you find the show so they can listen too.
1: And while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, just go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beauty and Impact. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Alright, that's it. We'll catch you in the next episode with more green tea on beauty and sustainability.